The Athletic. After four weeks of showcasing what the continent has to offer, the Africa Cup of Nations is down to its final two. It's going to be taken by Kaleshi Iheanacho. This for the final. Scores! It's Nigeria's day! Hosts Ivory Coast play Nigeria in Sunday's showpiece final in what has been the most thrilling AFCON in decades. But what's made it so good? Has the on-pitch drama been matched by the eyeballs watching the tournament? And what does AFCON need off the pitch to match the success on it? I'm Ayewa Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. All right, we are in to the AFCON final and with us today, 2012 AFCON runner-up with the Ivory Coast, Sol Bamba, full kitted up just like me. And also the Athletics' Jay Harris, who's been out at the tournament as well. Look, Sol, if, if there is a football god, they have been shining on Nigeria and especially Ivory Coast through this entire tournament. Honestly, it's like the resurrection for Ivory Coast, <laughs> if we're using biblical terms. But can we just say, though, um, as, as a rounded conversation, how powerful and exciting this tournament has been so far? Yeah, it's been huge. I think for, for her point of view, like you said, Ayo, is, 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 is the white word. It is resurrection massively, you know. From where we came from, we thought it was done and dusted and we managed to, to go through each hurdle every time, one step at a time, uh, to make it to the final. So for our point of view, we're absolutely over the moon. But as a whole, as a tournament, like you said, it's been, uh, it's been huge credit for for the whole Africa and for our vehicles in particular because it was the tournament. But, you know, the atmosphere, the football has been playing, every team, you know, the ways they represent themselves as well. It's been, we, we said it before, we, we we had the show before the tournament and we said potentially it could be the the greatest AFCON ever. And I think I think it is, you know, we've we seen with all the crazy games, like, you know, the scenarios, the twist and turn every time, you know, every single team as well. So it's been it's been absolutely brilliant and it's great credit for African football. From your perspective, how important is it that the host actually made it to the final? Because as we said, it was touch and go for sure, but you'd like to think in terms of a marketing of this tournament, you've got the most populous country in Africa, Nigeria, and then you've got the host together clashing head to head. Also, pre everyone knows the history here. Previous history between both teams. <laughs> yeah, I think we we couldn't ask for 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 any bigger games, you know, and, and and a better final. If I'm honest, I think yeah, I'm a bit biased by, you know, you want the host to go as far as possible to keep the atmosphere around the, the teams and the, the country buzzing and that. But I think it go beyond that, you know, like you said, that you like the rivalry between us two two massive powerhouses of African football. Um, you know, as a marketing point of view, like you said, it'd be, it'd be huge. And I think uh, everyone's looking forward for the for, for that final. I, I mean, yesterday, South, South Africa done very, very well, credit to themselves against you guys, but it's always going to be difficult. But I think you spot on marketing-wise, I think it's, it, we couldn't ask for a bigger game. It'd be, it'd be massive. I, I know that it's a final and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be huge. I can't wait. Yeah, you, you slipped into my DMs last night saying, here we go again. <laughs> dot, dot, 
Here we go again. 2013. You remember the group stage, bro? Quarter final. Who knocks Ivory Coast out? Nigeria boys. I do. Yes. <laughs> and I've got to give you that because I, I, I give you a lot before the game. You were very humble and quiet. So now you can give me that. But the revenge is coming on Sunday. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, Jay. I mean, look, I, I swear, I, th- I think you've probably lost a little bit of weight from the heat and the dancing. I saw you at your Bill C says gig, man. I, I, you're, you're enjoying Abidjan a bit too much. How's it going out there for you? Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, just to, to talk about the context of when I arrived, it was maybe five hours after that 4-0 loss to Equatorial Guinea. So I'm thinking, great, I've come to the party but, and, it, and it's already finished. And uh, I asked the taxi driver what happened and he just went, the elephant is done. And he just made this hand gesture as if the conversation's over, let's move on. So to then witness, as Sol said, the resurrection over the last few weeks has been absolutely brilliant. The Senegal game, um, when they won, like the crowd were just going absolutely crazy. And I think from that moment onwards, the, the belief has been there. It's just a constant party in the streets. You know, it's kids running around with the flag painted on their faces. Um, on the way to the game last night, um, I saw a man stood on an advertising billboard about 30 feet in the air with two flags next to him. It's just, you, you just see people going absolutely wild out here. People running around, motorcycles doing wheelies, you know, kids chasing after the motorcycles. It's, it's been so much fun. Uh, and yes, I couldn't resist going to a Jibril Cisse DJ set. You know, that's something I had to tick off the bucket list. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Honestly, I've been following you on Instagram. Some of those pictures and your stories have been really, really fun. Um, so for, for, for the nation itself, and, and Jay alluded to it there, this roller coaster of emotions where you think it's done. And I remember when it looked like Ivory Coast were going to go out of the competition. The scenes were so disastrous. People were literally throwing the flag on the floor. People were complaining to the camera saying, look, we should be doing better than this. They were so disappointed. But then the drama of sacking the coach and then the, the the assistant coach comes in. And from then onwards, it's been going up and up and up. And Ivory Coast have been firmly in this competition. This is massive, man. Absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. But I think that's the problem in, in our country and I think most of African country. When you win, you, you, you're like a god. And when you lose, you, you, you're nothing. And I think sometimes we have to... We have to have the balance of a better where, you know, is is I know it, it, football means so much to every Ivory and, and same in, in every African country. But I think sometimes we have to remember it's a football game and we have to be careful how emotionally we go. But this is Africa, that's why we love it. We're used to it. But when you lose game is 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 everything is so bad. And that was the case, you know. And I think he it go beyond that as well because I think we felt like it was it was a shame and everyone would laugh at us and it's nothing worse than that you know and I think that's that's why the fan went crazy you know we lost four nil our home uh, the world is watching the stadium is the name of our president of the country you know it's so many things like after that game so I understand why the the, the fan was, was was so upset but after because we were at the bottom it's only one way and the way is up so we we played. Thanks God for Morocco, we qualified. And after that, we have nothing to lose. But I think we have to remember as well, the games we've been playing and uh, we've been better now is only why, you know, of course, because we come in from far and uh, we didn't perform the last three games, the first three games, sorry. So people said like, oh yeah, we better this and this. But we only are at our level, really. You know, we're a big nation in Africa. In, in Africa. We should have done better. You know, and that's what we're doing now. So it's only by we we are where we are. We we need to remember that. Yeah, Jake, from your perspective and you're sort of standing on the outside as a journalist watching this, what do you think 
has then made this tournament so unpredictable. You know, Morocco, <laughs> World Cup semi-finalist out. Senegal, the strongest team really in this tournament, looking like the strongest team out. Egypt, all-time holders of the African Cup of Nations out of the tournament. Cape Verde out of nowhere. Angola out of nowhere, doing incredible bits in this tournament. From what you're seeing, what has made it so unpredictable? Can I just um, quickly say, because obviously Sol was giving thanks to, to Morocco, you know, I'm currently at the media centre and I've just got out of a taxi and there was a Morocco flag in the front of the taxi. When I was at the game last night, I saw multiple Moroccan flags. Now, I've said it many times, my heritage is Caribbean, but out here, everybody thinks I'm Moroccan. So I've had people coming up to me saying, <laughs> honestly, I've had so many people come up to me saying, merci Maroc and calling me Habibi and all sorts. So that just gives you an idea <laughs> of uh, how much people love Morocco out here. Just say shukran, um, shukran. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's what I do. Um, in terms of how, why it's been so unpredictable, I think what we've kind of seen is that the teams that have the best structure and are not necessarily based around individuals are the ones that have gone the furthest in the competition, even Nigeria. We spoke before the tournament, you know, and this Nigeria team was supposed to be the great entertainers. You've got Osman, you've got Chukwesi, you've got Lutman, but it's your defence that's been impeccable. And even with even with Ivory Coast, I think what's made a big difference is that Amersh Faye started playing Jean-Michael Seri at the, the base of the central midfield, and he's really kind of kept everything together. And the defence has been far more solid, although Kasuna was excellent against Senegal and had a bit of a disaster against Mali. But I think the team just structurally is far better. And then... Egypt, they kind of rallied briefly after Mohamed Salah got injured, then it all fell apart. You look at Ghana, they had one of the best individual talents in this tournament with Mohamed Kudus, but the rest of the team was <laughs> so discoherent. It just, it, it's almost unbelievable. So I think that Cape Verde, Mauritania and some of the other teams have just been very well drilled from, from front to back. They've had a game plan, they've stayed compact um, and they've just managed to, to take their opportunities when, when they've come. Yeah, so why do you think it has been so unpredictable? Because you did say, I remember you were saying, this is going to be the most open AFCON ever. What were you seeing to make you think, actually, all the big dogs might struggle in this tournament? I think it's exactly what Jay said. I think uh, big teams are more, they've got more individual and they're relying on them more to make the difference, especially at the top of the pitch. I think why I, I knew it would be like so unpredictable is because the so-called smaller teams got better. They're well-organized, they're well-trained, tactically they're aware. They're set pieces as well, they worked a lot. Uh, they score a lot of goals and set pieces. And, and I think that's the difference now. The, the, the smaller teams, if you like, got better. And that bring the tournament even more entertaining and make it more difficult for, for, for the, the bigger teams. I remember my time, like 10, 15 years ago, if you played... Angola, with all due respect, you know you're going to win the game comfortably if you don't do any silly mistake. And that's what happened now. You can't predict. And that's why you see in the Cap Verde, the, the Angola doing so well. And I think that's credit to them because they realise like they have to work as a unit to make up the ground for the, for the, the, the bigger teams. We've got more, lot better individual. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Simon Hughes, reporter for The Athletic. I travelled to Côte d'Ivoire or 
Ivory Coast two days before the start of the tournament. I went with a great sense of anticipation because it's a part of the world I haven't been to before West Africa. The thing that really struck out for me was the appetite for hosting the tournament, certainly in Abidjan where I spent most of my time. Everywhere you went in the city, I'd say every third person had tangerine or orange shirt of the national team. It really, really, really brightened up um, the atmosphere. It was the thing that everybody was talking about everywhere in the bars, the the hotels, uh, on the streets. Particularly when Ivory Coast were playing, you knew it was a match day. There was a sense of anticipation in the air. So the appetite for football was incredible. But yeah, that, that just wasn't applicable to the Ivorians. You could, you could see really what it meant to the other African journalists who were there representing their nations. It's a tournament that really appeals to a lot of people now, not just in Africa, but out. So I would say anybody who has any sort of question marks about going to, to Ivory Coast, just try it. It was uh, really exciting. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And I would love to go back again in the future. Over on The Athletic right now, actually, before I forget, there's a brilliant piece by Simon on the story of Ahmed Diallo and the man accused of trafficking him to Europe. You'll also find a link of the piece in the show notes of this episode. So make sure you take a look at that. Um, let, let's move on. Um, let's talk about AFCON and how we measure success here. Simon talking about, you know, come to the Ivory Coast. And I think, Sol, th- there's a bigger conversation around the PR of, of Africa here. You know, um, I remember when we did the sort of preview show, you were speaking about how the, the, the president and the officials really wanted to make this a tournament to remember, but also they wanted stadiums to be really good. They wanted infrastructure to be good. What They wanted the experience of the fans to be like going to Qatar or going to a, a proper World Cup. Is that how they will measure success of this tournament as well as the great football? Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously the football helped because that's the main event, but the side, like the infrastructure, the stadium, the, the referee, the hotels, the training uh, ground when they go and train, the buses, you know, no traffic, all that counts. And um, you're absolutely spot on when you said we we try to to copy the the the, the, the European of the when when or when is a World Cup and that. And I think that's very important because we we, we need to be taken seriously. And if you don't have all that in place, you're never going to be taken seriously. Every single person uh, I had a chance to talk to, they said like it's been the best tournament. Ever because of all this, because of all the the, the infrastructure in place, um, uh, it's no trouble. Everything is well organized, and um, we definitely measure success uh, uh, with, with, with this as well as well as the football. And I think we, we we have to give credit to to the official because they've done very well. It wasn't easy. Um, we were late a couple of months ago uh, with stadium and uh, and hotels and everything, but they catch up. And um, you know, it's been a, it's been a credit to to, to Africa and Africa, of course, definitely. The thing is, you know, you, you say we've been late and stuff, but I mean, Wembley was late. I mean, it's not, you know, yeah, like, and, and, and I, I think I do, I do, I do think we have to be, we have to have it all in context. You know, putting on a major tournament like this is never going to be easy, especially with some of the issues surrounding African countries and whatnot. Um, Jay, for you as a, a journalist in, in that respect, how have you found navigating it? Have you found getting around? How have you found the organisation from your perspective? I was just going to quickly say when we're talking about you know, kind of like the overall impact of the tournament. I remember speaking to Sol before Christmas and he said that when he was growing up as a child, AFCON was was more important to, to people from Africa than the World Cup um, for different reasons. And a big part of that was because they, you know, often didn't have great success at the World Cup and, and an African team still not won it. And being out here, 
I think I might have been officially converted. I won't lie. But it's just something <laughs> that and, until, until you're out here attending these games, seeing what it means to the people, seeing what it means to the journalists, seeing what it means to the players. I feel almost like a shame to say I didn't quite realise how big it was. When you're back home in, in England, in London or wherever you are in Europe, you are you do kind of exist in a little bit of a bubble and a little bit of a Premier League bubble. And when you come out here and you just see how intense it is at times and you see how many journalists are, you know, just look at what happened with Ghana when they got knocked out and you've got all of these Ghanaian journalists blocking the media bus from leaving and demanding answers. You just you just see the intensity of it. For me, getting around's been it's been like okay. I'm sure Sol can attest that the the traffic in Abidjan is absolutely um, chaotic. Uh, I can I don't know how many lanes of traffic they are. People just um, invent new ones. I think there's been maybe like a few teething issues in terms of like the organisation sometimes for journalists and for media buses getting to the grounds and things like that. But it always happens. Nothing nothing's ever perfect. And I think the vast majority of stuff has gone has gone pretty well. And it's been. It's been a joy, really. I think the access to, to players and, and managers has been really good as well, especially from Nigeria. They've often been quite open and, and allowed people, you know, into the team hotel to, to interview players and things like that. So I think it's done a, a really good job of representing African football and Africa as a continent overall, because as Sol said, there's been no trouble. I've seen people running around crazy in the streets doing all sorts, but never any trouble, never any violence. And I think that's a wonderful thing that everyone's kind of behaved themselves and just represented themselves in the best way possible. That's very important now, you're sorry if I can jump in, because for us, because people we said we, we bias because it's our country and, you know, um, but we knew, we know that for years, like you guys, especially like Jay journalists like you guys and have to come in and witness that, you know, and I think you guys have been very good to do that, uh, in particular for this tournament, because, you know, you show the world how, you know, um, we can do it, how the tournament is important for us. And uh, everyone's talking about that, Afcon, and that's the, that's the best advertising we can we can hope for. And I think we need more and more people coming to, to Africa to witness this because he is, he is very, very special. Yeah, um, Jay, you sort of alluded to it there, this sort of um, living in the Premier League bubble. And as, as we've spoken about before, this idea that, you know, oh, we want our best players not to go to this tournament. But I still use, I still use, you know... <sighs> Yes, it's a bit shorter, but you know, when, when European players go play the Nations League, um, that, let's face it, it, they are great friendlies. Um, this is really a tournament that, that, that truly matters to a, to a continent, to, to a nations of people. Do you feel AFCON then does have this weird glass ceiling in that respect? Because it's always having to battle against the big European leagues, because fundamentally, that's where most, a lot of these players earn their trade. But, but this is what I've realized being out here. The, the whole continent of Africa does not care what Premier League fans think and complain about saying oh, our players are not available. It doesn't even cross anybody's mind remotely. They're just all out here having a great time. And I think that's almost what makes the whole situation with Andrea and Anna quite sad because you've just seen how much it means to the people out here. And he kind of just prioritised Manchester United. I know there's a lot more complicating factors and, you know, he's got a difficult relationship with Samuel Eto'o. But I think that sort of, yeah, it was a real shame that that's one occasion where maybe the Africa Cup of Nations wasn't prioritised. But yeah, this Premier League bubble that we exist in, it is ridiculous. The Africa Cup of Nations, the first edition was held in, in 1957. What, 30, 40 years before anybody even thought of the, the Premier League. And it's consistently been held at the beginning of the year in January and February. It is absolutely roasting hot out here right now. It's incredibly humid. 
and it's only going to get worse in the summer months. It's not feasibly possible or sensible to hold this competition in certain countries in the summer. It's just not. So respect the fact that the the weather conditions make it difficult to, to move it and also respect the fact that this is a tradition and a history that's been going on for a long, long time. This is just what the world has to get used to. You know, other competitions shouldn't revolve around the Premier League. Yes, the Premier League makes a, an incredible amount of money and it's one of the most watched leagues in the world, but it doesn't mean it should stand on this grand pedestal ahead of everything else. So I think people just need to, to, to like I said, come over here and experience it and realise how magical it is and realise actually, of, of course, I've been keeping up with, with Premier League games while I've been out here and especially Brentford ones but then it's the FA Cup last night and I'm thinking why is anybody watching FA Cup games when there's the semi-finals of the Africa Cup of Nations going on why are you paying you know 10 20 pounds to you know no disrespect to go and watch these teams when you've got this massive tournament going on so I think just people need to you know let themselves embrace it a little bit more and, and they'll be rewarded for it. Mm. Well, you talked about um, Samuletto there and uh, we want to bring in um, Adam Leventhal, um who's across this because um, obviously this, <laughs> apparently he was leaving, now he's not, <laughs> um, uh, which which adds to several controversies in in AFCON as as we speak. Adam, uh, so good you can join us. Uh, could you just tell, explain a little more about what's going on with Samuletto Because... I felt like he was leaving um, his position with the Cameroon FA. And for some reason, they've rallied behind him and uh, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, it's uh, it's quite a complicated situation with, with Samueletto because obviously Cameroon didn't do well at AFCON. Uh, they disappointed once again. There was the, the controversy with Andre Onana you know, leaving Manchester United in a hurry, turning up, then not playing, then playing a game and then being on the bench twice and then not playing uh, as they sort of crumbled eventually against um, Nigeria in the in the knockout rounds. And there was, you know, a big focus on, on their performance overall. There was a meeting that was held by Feckerfoot on February the 5th. And it was basically concluded that despite... Samueletto offering his resignation that actually he was doing a good job and everyone resolved to stick by him. Surprise, surprise, the president of uh, Feckerfoot would stay on and continue in the role that he's been in since December 2021. But there is obviously a different background to the story as well, which is something that I wrote about for for The Athletic. So... I hear this, and and so you you can jump in here as well in terms of the controversies around the tournament and all that kind of stuff. But do you think this has a, a lasting damage to, to to African football, and especially how we're trying to show a much more positive side to things? So, yeah, exactly. I like the fact Adam's telling the story, and he's got a, a smile, and he's got a because he knows everything. <laughs> he knows his nonsense. Everything happening there in Cameroon, and especially since Eto's been there. Listen, we. All that is, 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 I don't even know where to start, you know, because he's, he's, I think he's hiding behind the fact he's been, Cameron's been poor since he's been in, in, in power, you know, as simple as that. And that's why you have to look at. And I think he's been clever yesterday by, on the 5th of February, sorry, by saying, listen, here's my resignation. Because he knew they're going to say no. All the people in there, they're his friend, he put them in place. So of course they're going to say no, first of all. And I think he's doing that to cover the fact that Cameroon's been poor, as simple as that. And I think you spot on that. I think the problem we got now is by Eto behaving like this, 
everyone look at us and laugh at us because said like, well, if that's how African Federation want to run their, their federation is, 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 is bad because it has been a great player. It's no question about that. Everybody knows. But being a player and being a, um, a president of federation is two different jobs. And we see in it, Jogba tried to do that and he tried for us to be behind, behind him. We said no. And he was upset with us because he said, oh, you know, we know each other for 10, 15 years, play together and everything. I want to change everything in, in a federation. And we said, yeah, but you know the right person for that. As simple as that. You know, but Eto forced it. He's in power now. He doesn't want to leave it. He's picking pick the team, by the way. And that's, I'm telling you from the inside, I know some players, he's picking the team. He's fighting with Onana. The, the, the government got involved and he's, they said they want Onana to play. That's why Eto's not happy. It's, it's a big mess. And I think until we sort that out, we're never going to be taken seriously, unfortunately. Yeah, Adam, you've looked into this and um, you sort of followed it. Through for, for a while, uh, can you just give us a, an indication of exactly, and I, I think Saul's just alluded to it there, uh, of exactly what that power structure looks like with Samuel Eto'o? Well, I think very much he is the man at the top, as Saul has, has said there. I spoke to one person who basically said, if you're not with him, you're against him. And he's involved in all of the, the major decisions. Obviously, the, the the key controversy that is hanging over Samuel Eto'o, and there have been quite a few since he took over as the president of Fekafoot. He was uh, involved in a in a tax fraud case in Spain back in 2022. He was given a 22 month suspended sentence. He was fined over a million pounds uh, for that. It was linked to his image rights when he was playing in Spain. Uh, he was involved in an altercation, being an ambassador at the Qatar World Cup with an Algerian journalist outside one of the grounds, which was which was actually pretty graphic when you when you watch it. And he had to he had to apologise for that altercation. Also, last year there was controversy related to him becoming an ambassador of a betting company, and. I'll get on to the the, the alleged match. Um, <laughs> the the betting the betting um, association is actually really quite strange because FIFA rules outline the fact that you're not allowed to have any association with a betting company if you're an official, a player, a manager, an agent, an associated agent, all this sort of stuff. And FIFA, when I approached them, were basically saying, "Look, we don't go into ethics committee investigations, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But also they weren't willing to confirm whether an official applies to being a president of a football federation, which I just found quite remarkable. But in terms of the allegations, CAF are investigating allegations of serious improper conduct, which have come from claims made by various stakeholders in Cameroonian football. And they centre on allegations of uh, match-fixing, of influencing referees, threatening behaviour and things like that. So there are really, really serious claims that, that CAF are investigating, and it's sort of been hanging like a cloud. You know, in terms of Cameroon, not obviously the whole tournament, because the tournament has progressed and there's been some fantastic occasions, but you just think... While this is going on, and whilst the president of a football federation is involved with these sort of allegations, we saw different, uh, swifter action taken against Luis Rubiales and his um, controversies after the uh, World Cup with the the Spain women's team and his unsolicited kiss, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
He was suspended. I think people in Cameroon have been saying, and they sent an open letter, the, the stakeholders sent an open letter to FIFA saying, hang on a minute, why are you treating these, these two things? Very different allegations, obviously, but why are you treating these two things very differently? It's almost as if you're treating you know, an African federation as something very distant. Oh, yeah, maybe something's happened over there. Maybe something's happened. Meanwhile, you've got a UEFA association with a lot of spotlight on it being treated very differently. And I think there's a lot of anger about that. Yeah, honestly, Adam, thanks so much for that. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for dropping in with the heavy news line. I think it's actually needed just for balance anyway, but I really appreciate your time, sir. No problem. Yeah, so I just want to follow up on what Adam's has said there, really. And in there is still that feeling, though, that sort of FIFA just leave Africa to do their thing. And actually, if we're talking about a legitimacy of a tournament and sending the right message, there needs to be that sort of coherent FIFA attention to issues around African football, as well as they see it around European, European football. Because fundamentally, the message is the money's in Europe and not in Africa. Exactly. But I, I think, especially in the Cameroon case uh, with Eto, I think is a is a power things as well. You know, we're talking about one, arguably one of the greatest African footballer. So I think it's a bit of that as well. They don't want to necessarily go in, in there. I think if it was any other federation, with all due respect, that things they would be stronger. Um, but I see what you're saying. We, 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 we felt it even when I was playing like 15 years ago, you know, like Africa and, and Europe are treated differently, unfortunately. And I think we, FIFA have to do better to, to make sure the, the rules apply for Europe and Africa. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Jay, let's move on because um, one of the great things to see in this tournament, and I know you've written about it, is is, is the rise of, of African coaches. I've really enjoyed seeing so many more. Um, just tell us a little bit more about that because I do know Nigeria don't have an African coach, but the last time we did win AFCON, we did. Um, he's not with us, uh, Stephen Keshi, the, the great guy. Uh, yeah, he's not with us anymore, a Nigerian legend. But yeah, it, it's quite refreshing to see from my perspective anyway. Yeah, well, obviously, historically, you've had a lot of European whitehead coaches in, in charge of African national teams. And a lot of them are, are French and Portuguese. And obviously, that kind of brings up links to colonialism. And I spoke to a university professor who explained a lot of the context behind that and said, initially, coaches from Britain, France, Portugal, Belgium, the Netherlands, and we're talking, you know, 1950s, 1960s, probably did have better coaching knowledge. So it's a little bit more understandable back then. But then in the 70s and 80s, when local coaching starts to get better, they're still kind of overlooked. But what has happened in the last, I guess, 20 years is that there's just not been a proper structure in place across the whole continent for coaches to be developed. And the best example I can give you of that is that UEFA launched their pro license scheme or all their coaching licenses in 1998. The Asian Football Confederation launched their pro diploma in 2001. The Confederation of African Football launched their pro license in 2018 in, with Morocco. So you're essentially arguing that they're two decades behind coaching at the elite level. Um, so it's taken a real long time for the cream to rise to the top, for want of a better expression. But I think what this tournament, what we've seen is that coaches are being trusted. So at the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations, when it was only 16 teams, 12 of the 16 teams were managed by a coach outside of 
uh, outside of Africa. So I think there were 10 from Europe, one from Brazil and, and potentially Avram Grant as well, if I've, if I've got it right. Whereas at this tournament, I think you had nine coaches from Europe, 10 if you include Chris Hewton, who obviously was a Republic of Ireland international with Ghanaian heritage, which means in the space of seven years, the numbers have completely flipped around. And I think Immerse Bay is just the perfect example of that. You had Jean-Louis Gasset. I'm not going to put Sol on the spot and ask him for what his opinion on that is. But you had Jean-Louis Gasset. He was a 70-year-old Frenchman who'd spent the entire of his coaching career in France. As far as I know, he had no prior connection to Cote d'Ivoire. So why is he being put in charge of the country ahead of the biggest sporting event they've hosted, maybe the biggest event in general they've hosted in four years? To me, that's just incredible. And you look at the success that Ali Ossice has had with Senegal. Okay, they got knocked out in the last 16 of this tournament, but they won the Africa Cup of Nations a few years ago. They got to the last 16 of the World Cup. I think Morocco is maybe an even better example because their star player, or one of their star players, Hakim Ziyech, basically retired from international football a few years ago because he had this massive falling out with the previous head coach, Halo Hodzic, who I believe is from Bosnia. And the first thing Walid Ragwagri does, who's a French-born Moroccan, it's basically brings Ziyech back into the fold and he really fosters that sense of community. So I think what we've seen at this tournament and in the last couple of editions is that just trust in your local coaches. But the flip side of that is that the development and structure for developing those coaches still needs to improve considerably. I think you're spot on. So I really want to ask you about this. Um, and I know you're doing your coaching badges as well. So, you know, maybe you've got a little taste, but when you see the likes of MSV, obviously, Regragi, again from Morocco um, Cisse do you think historically there's been this post-colonial idea that a white coach knows more than we do on the continent and actually after naming those names and you doing your badges is it something that inspires you to say do you know what I, I can maybe try and see if I can be part of that history as well yeah 100% it's definitely due to have past uh, colonialism definitely because you know unfortunately we and they're not believing what they were saying to us. We 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 know as good as them. We can't think. So that stayed with us for, for for many many years. But I think the table are turning, which is good. And the most important important thing is the fan demanding that. And I think this is key because exactly like Jay said, especially for our very course, when we had Jean Louis Gasset, people weren't happy because like Jay was saying, we hosted a tournament. We wanted someone we thought would represent us the best the best he could, and that wasn't him. I know him very well, great lad. Uh, he never managed in Africa before. And there's so many things involved with managing in Africa, you won't believe. So he was he was surprised. That's why he left. And uh, MS was uh, was there for, for two years under him. So it, it was only why he's, he's, he's taking over. But we tried to do that uh, for many years. I think um, our president of federation, Idris Diallo, tried to do that. When he was in power, that's what he said. He said he want local ex-players to come in and uh, look after the national team. So after the tournament, actually, we got a few meetings where um, he wanted to meet ex-players with doing the badges or had the badges, and he wanted to talk to us and, and see what can be done from the 18, 15 level all the way to uh, the first team. And um, I think that's the way you have to do it. I think Senegal's been doing it, Morocco, um, you know, Algeria, you know, everyone should, should start doing it. And I think it'd be good for African football. And from my point of view, yeah, I'm looking at it and said, like, this is all we're asking for, an opportunity. You know, people sometimes think we we just want jobs because of the colour of our skin. That's not what we want. We want opportunities. And if you're good enough for the job, you're going to get it, you know, but we need to have those opportunities. You want to throw your hat in the ring for the Ivory Coast job, sir? Come on. <laughs> I see you. I can't, I, I can't say 
say oh you know but uh, yeah it's, it was a, a a bizarre couple of weeks to be honest and um listen I'm glad MS5 is in, is in charge you know I know him very well I play with him but it was a question for me to to go w- with him and uh, with Guy uh, Demel we all know very well as well I play with him um to go and assist him uh, but obviously the turnover was too quick um he needed to to have someone uh, on site so Guy Demel went with him uh, finishing the tournament and I'm going there tomorrow anyway um, for the final and after that we'll have meetings so we'll see what happens exclusive for the Athletic <laughs> this is what we like <laughs> oh man it'd be, it'd be lovely to see you there maybe maybe you just might beat Nigeria with you at the helm but maybe anyway <laughs> let's, let, let, let's talk about the match uh, Sunday 8 o'clock UK time it's, it's going to be a big one we spoke about how big a rivalry this is between both teams and Sol, I don't want to say it, but we've already beaten you this this tournament already at home turf. It's either revenge or you just take it lying down and understand that Nigeria are the dominant team in Africa. No, I know, I know. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to hear that, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be strange. And, and to be honest, I think um, you know the Philip in the camp will be that will be. Listen, you know they beat us before, uh, and you played very well, by the way. You know defensively, you were solid get us on the break. It was very, very difficult for us. So I see it going two ways. It's either like, you know, we, we start again and uh, it's a new game, fresh, and we, we we give everything we go and try to win the game. Or we are a bit worried about the one they were lost a couple of weeks ago. And um, and if that's the case, it could be trouble. But I think it'd be the, the first one because the, the way we, we, we ended up be, be, being on the final with all the controversy, like beating Senegal and Mali and uh, 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 Congo yesterday, you know, we got nothing to lose, if you like, now. You know, the pressure's still on because it's a final at home. But from where we're coming from, honestly, um, you won't be any any, any scared there and uh, we're going to do everything to try to win the game. Yeah, how do you think... Um... Sebastian Haller's come out of this tournament because it's such an inspiring story, right? Especially what happened with him with his health. And and, and look at him now, right? Firing Ivory Coast to the final. How beautiful is that? Oh, he's huge. Even for him, he's a lovely guy. You know, uh, he worked very hard to be at that tournament. And he, every time he has an interview, he thanks the, the, the fans to, to stay behind him and help him to make the tournament. He thanks his club because he knew he wanted to make that tournament. So Dortmund let him like train on the side and not necessarily use them for him to be ready for that tournament. And he, he thanks the staff um, of Avery Coast because, you know, he came injured, you know, and um, he trained on the side, you know, he, he was potentially, he was a chance he would miss the whole tournament. So the fact for him like to play and score the winning goals yesterday is massive, but he's a massive player for us because he's not... Just his goals. I remember when he came on against uh, Mali, he was huge for us because he held he held the ball very well, uh, won a lot of foul. So that that helped that helped the, the team to to go high up the pitch. You know, um, he's a leader. You know, and he scored goals. So he was the the the, the missing link we 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 had. And uh, hopefully this time he, he will start the game again and uh, and score the winning goals in the final. I don't think you can pay too much attention to what happened in the group stages. I feel like. Most people would say that because just so much has, has changed in the two, three weeks since then. But Ivy Coast's team is different. I think there's there's no surprise that last night against DR Congo was their best performance of this tournament so far because two of their best players finally started. You know, Sol's just spoken about him. Sebastian Haller had not started a game at this tournament. Simon Adingra had not started a game at this tournament. Both of those players 
when they were pretty much down and out against Senegal, came off the bench and, and made the difference. And then it's Adingra who gets the equaliser against Mali as well. So I think having those two start a game together was was absolutely massive. And, and I thought that Frank Kessier had his best game yesterday as well because he's finally... It's no disrespect to Jean-Philippe Crasso, who was kind of um, deputising for Haller, but he plays for, for Red Star Belgrade in, in Serbia, whereas Haller's played for, well, he's at Dortmund, he's played for West Ham, he's played for Ajax, some really good sides in Europe. And I think you can just see that that difference in, in quality and that threat. So I think if you're Kessier and you're a midfielder who likes to break into the box and get on the end of things, playing off Haller and then Adingra, who's a very clever winger who likes to pop off those one-twos, is probably perfect for you. So I think Ivory Coast look like they have a plan going forward now. Whereas I think two, three games ago, it was a little bit of, let's just see what Fafana, Sangari and, and Kessier can kind of do in midfield. And I don't think it was the right blend of players. They're all three fantastic central midfielders, but I don't know if they completely complement each other going forward. But then again, having said that, Nigeria have just been formidable at this tournament. There's no real moment where they've looked in genuine stress. They've still managed to, to get through the um, semi-finals against South Africa. And to be honest, if I was one of those Nigerian players going up against Roman Williams after he'd saved four penalties in the previous shootout, I would have been sweating a little bit. But they made it look easy and he didn't save a single one. It was Ola Aina who who was the only one who kind of hit it over the bar. It's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to continue to be tight. And all I know is that if Osman doesn't score and you guys don't win, there's going to be a lot a lot of noise so uh just the thing be prepared is, Jay, for that Jay, just I, be prepared I, I, for that so I want to come to you very quickly but Jay just on that awesome important I know you've, you've read about it I mean he's only scored one goal this tournament but you'd like to feel uh, from where I'm standing anyway that they've almost used him quite differently he's been involved in most a lot of the goals that um, Nigeria have scored this tournament indirectly whether it be pulling players out of position so Lutman can cut in in, in in the middle or even the penalty uh, in yesterday's match that was that was awesome and all through so he he hasn't scored but he's been very effective in the tournament yeah he has I spoke to um, William Trista Kong after the quarterfinal victory and and I was asking Trista Kong about Adamola Lukman because Lukman's you know had a great tournament scored three goals in the knockout stages and Trista Kong said all the fun three are working very hard Victor, of course, is carrying a lot of weight and uh, maybe uh, yeah, occupies two or three players at a time, which creates a lot of space for Simon and Adamola. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's not nice to play against Nigeria now. And also, you get some strikers who are just exceptionally good at scoring, whereas Osman is an absolute... He just runs after defenders, forces mistakes. I think that's what happened in um, the game against Cameroon, where there's a back pass, which he basically forces and he, and he wins it. So he, so he's, he's very intelligent. And also he's not afraid to kind of tell other players, you, you need to fix up and make a better pass or you need to get back in position. And, and I, I always really like that because I think he's 25 years old. So he's still fairly young for a footballer. So I like it when, whenever anybody's got that, a little bit of presence about them. But I just want you to know that I don't mind who wins. I'll, I'll be happy for either of you two. But I've, well I've said, been, mate. I've, well I've, said, I've, well said. But I've, I've been hanging around with a lot of Ghanaian journalists at this tournament who, yes, two, three weeks after they got knocked out are still here. And the Nigerian journalists have been giving them so much grief. Every day it's, you know, why are you still here? Ghana must go. It's been constant, man. And so I just want you to be prepared for the fact that there's been so much noise. If, if, if Ivory Coast win on Sunday, it, it, it's, the social media timeline is going to be 
hectic. It is going to be hectic. It's going to just mute your, mute your social medias for a week. It's going to be mad. I don't think people really understand how much people want Nigeria not to win this tournament in Africa. I mean, if you look at the <laughs> Angola game, the amount that was offered to Angolan players to try and beat Nigeria alone <laughs> tells you how much people... I mean, it's historic, isn't it? Like, you know, you want to beat the big giants. I completely understand it. But but so for that reason as well, um, this is really... I want to go back to this as well. This is really the final that's going to bring the eyeballs to the screens you know um there are so many players that just roll off the tongue of global football fans and i think for the future of afcon and in terms of its commercial value this is really the final we all wanted to see absolutely and i think that's why we want to we want a good spectacle for for all those reasons you know we want a good final we want to we want goals we want entertainment but it won't be the case because is is a final, you know. I always said a, a final, you don't play it, you win it. So it's going to be cagey. I know that, you know, Nigeria are very, very good defensively. You know, we were talking about Oshiman early on. Like, forget the goals. Honestly, he's been absolutely immense. The pressing, he, he burned for ninety five minutes. Is is you know, is the, the run he makes to 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 free space for other players. Like, he's been phenomenal. You know, forget the goals, and we can all see that. And when you play with a player like this. Like just the comment was saying, like if I'm a centre half and I've got my centre forward doing that, you know, I know nothing can happen to us because that's what you want. And it's credit to him, you know, a, a massive player to do that. It can only give confidence to the rest of the team. But I think for 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 the whole Africa, and I think that's that's the the final we all wanted really. You know, of course, he, you have, they had a big gun Senegal, um, and Morocco, and all that. But I think. For the whole, you know, the, the the rivalry we got between 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 the two teams, you know, the um, the fact we're playing at home uh, before the tournament, everyone was saying Nigeria can score a lot of goals, but they can't defend. They prove everyone wrong, you know. Um, I mean, I, I can't wait. It'd be, it, 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 it would be phenomenal, but I think for the for the advertising for African football is 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 great. Like probably one of the the the, the two best team in uh, in Africa will, will, will play each other on on Sunday. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I tell you what, this tournament has brought so many surprises, and maybe we might see one in the final as well. So, Jay, really. So, why do you time. call a surprise? Why do you surprise? <laughs> A win for us is going to be a surprise. Is that what you're saying? I've got to get my dig in just in case, man. Just in case. And then I hide off. I'll keep my eye on my phone, brother. You too. Enjoy Abidjan. Enjoy the final. Um, hopefully see you on the other side. And thanks so much for joining the pod as well. Thank you. And don't forget, you can rate and review the podcast. And we'll be back with another episode tomorrow with Adam and the team. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Guy Clark, Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. And the executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.